There was a quote from, is it John Green from The Fault in Our Stars that says, grief doesn't change you, it reveals you. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Today we are talking about handling grief and loss and the transformation into healing. Oftentimes, these are difficult subjects to talk about. It's hard enough to deal with our own grief. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming to deal with others. The way we are hardwired, we have a natural aversion to pain. So opening up to these discussions can be uncomfortable, but a necessary part in the process of healing. Tonight, we're talking to Tad and Jonah Johnson about their journey through grief, hope, and healing with the loss of their beloved 19-year-old daughter, Alexa. Alexa was killed in a single car accident four years ago when she was thrown 100 yards out of her car due to not wearing a seatbelt. What her family has done in the wake of her death has touched thousands of lives and brought seatbelt and safety awareness, not only to our Fort Collins community, but far beyond. Welcome, Tad and Jonah. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Stephanie. You guys have a powerful story to tell and a very powerful experience. Tad, when we were talking last week, you shared with me that February is really an important month for you and your family. Will you share with us what what makes February so significant for your family? February comes very quickly for our family. It's a time of so much celebration, but at the same time, that celebration comes with knowing what comes after each of those celebrations. Our youngest son, Isaac, was born on February 5th. So we celebrate Isaac's birthday on the 5th of the month, sometimes a few days before, depending on you know how it falls. Jonah's birthday is on February 9th, and our daughter was killed on February 10th. And there's just nothing that you can do to change the day that you were born or the day that you died. That is a very raw time for our family. And while we've got a young boy that's looking forward to his birthday and his birthday party and the things that come with that, we also have that raw family dynamic of that tiptoeing inside the household. It's a surreal time. It's it's not even something that you, when people say to us, I can't imagine, oh my gosh. Horrifically, Jonah finally stopped me when somebody would say, I can't imagine, I would start walking them through that horror. And she said, you got to stop doing that to people. You're crushing them. So uh, that's where we're at right now. We're at that time where we're getting ready for a young man's birthday party and my lovely wife's birthday party. And then we have another day and we can't change it. It happened. All of it happened. The, The lunch that Alexa and I shared the day before, the conversation that we had, you learn to embrace it all. Because if you don't, it comes up whenever it wants. So as you're open to whatever's there. Yeah. 
you allow yourself to be with whatever's coming up for this day. Yeah. And that's part of the healing process. So that, that grief doesn't lie in wait and come out in some other way. If ever you've had a dream that you were falling, that's what it's like being awake. When that surreal moment hits you that this really happened. Mm-hmm. If you've ever had such an incredible nightmare that you woke up and you realized, oh, thank God it's just a dream. This wasn't a dream. This is not a wake up and say, this is just a dream. Yeah. So there are days that I quite frankly know that I need to be in bed. And, and I'll tell you what I found about grieving that deeply is it allows me also to celebrate the joy that greatly. You're opening yourself up to the full experience, the full capacity that yep. if you didn't let yourself go to those depths, yep. you also couldn't experience the richness and the joy. When I shut off the grief, I shut off the joy. Mm-hmm. So yep. when I go deep with the grief, it allows me to go great with the joy. And I didn't think I'd ever be finding that laughter again. That's, I, that's one of the reasons I find it so significant that we're together here in the studio here in February and to, and to be able to have this broadcast in February. It's important. I, just, I, I appreciate your, your openness and your ability to share at that level. Thank you guys so much. I have deep gratitude for the both of you being here. Thank you. Thank you. So, Tad, can you tell us about your experience and, and what happened on February 10th? February 10th, it'll be five years. Jonah and I woke up to the sound of complete chaos on Sunday morning, February 10th. And I want you to remember, we had just celebrated her birthday the night before. But to wake up to the sound of the dog barking, like someone was trying to steal the house, the doorbell ringing, it's so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face. It was that kind of Sunday morning. And Jonah said, Tad, somebody's at the door. And woke up, walked down the hall, and there was a flashlight coming through the window of the front door. So in between the ringing of the door and the dog barking, there was also the, somebody was trying to get our attention. And when I started to open the front door, Jonah said, Tad, oh my God, please find out who it is first. When I hollered through the door, who's there? The answer came back, it's the Colorado State Patrol. And I knew without even opening the front door what they were there to tell me. And I can tell you the longest walk I've ever taken is from my front door to the living room couch because I knew when I got there, they were gonna give me the news. Jonah probably remembers more about this than I do because it really is like a blur. I remember sitting down, them telling me to breathe. I didn't wanna breathe. I didn't want them to talk. It seemed like it took forever for them to get to what I already knew. The state trooper that sat on the end of our couch was very shaken. I could see that he had just witnessed something very horrific. So as they're talking, 
it felt like if you've ever been underwater and heard voices, kind of that, that's what it sounded like. And when they got to, and she did not survive. That's when I said, Alexa, we just talked about this. We just had this conversation. And that's what brought up, what conversation did you have? What did you guys talk about? At lunch, we had just had lunch together. She looked very tired. I could tell that she was working hard, and I could tell when she wasn't working, she was with her friends, and she wasn't getting much sleep. And we don't know at this point what she was doing driving down the highway at 2 a.m. You have no idea. Yeah. She was in that vehicle by herself. Thank God. When we asked, was anybody else in the vehicle? Because Alexa always had friends with her. They said, no, she was alone. When we asked if she was wearing her seatbelt, there was a very awkward silence that her seatbelt was fastened, but she wasn't in it. And that didn't make sense to me. And it didn't make sense to me after they left. All I can picture is somebody coming out of their seatbelt. But if ever you've seen a vehicle with the seatbelt fastened, with nobody sitting in that seat, that's how our daughter drove around in her pickup. So she would have it fastened, but be sitting on it. And that would trick the sensors so she wouldn't get the chiming of the door. Right. Now here's what's scary. Both passenger seats, seat belts, were fastened the same way. So if someone else had been in that vehicle, they both would have been ejected. That was just completely surreal. I remember how terrifying it was. The doorbell, the dog, the banging on the door, the flashlight coming through the door. You didn't know if somebody was there trying to break in to to rob us or what it was. Yeah. And then as they came in, I actually went down the hall to close the door so that we wouldn't wake up Isaac. The time during which they were telling us what happened is very foggy, just as Tad described. Uh, There were parts of it that I'm sure neither one of us will ever remember, parts of it that didn't make sense at all, like why was she on the road that time of night and and why didn't she have her seatbelt on? When Isaac woke up, he came out to the living room and he was looking around at the people that were still there. And, you know, he was nine years old. He had just turned nine. And he's looking at me and he says, where's Alexa? And I literally could not find the words. You never think you're going to have to use those words. And he kept asking. If he was here, he would he would describe it as he kept asking, and he kept getting louder every time, and no one would answer him. And then he was getting very frustrated and yelled, where is Alexa? So one of my very vivid memories is having to tell my son that his sister had died that morning, and he would never see her again. You're just not equipped for that as a mom. 
you're not equipped to make decisions like what do you do about a funeral and how do you write the obituary? And, and You're in uh, shock. You're in shock that you know. day. And yet here you're having to function and make decisions. And mm-hmm. What else stands out to you, Jonah, about that day? The entire next probably two to three weeks is very much a fog, even still for me. Something that I still remember is that my forehead hurt like it had never hurt before. And my mom had had come to see us, of course, and to be here for the funeral. And she said, maybe you've got a sinus infection. It just ached. My forehead ached. And I realized that it was because of the grief. And what do you call that? What do you do with your forehead? You know, just scrunching my my eyebrows together and my eyes and, and all of this that was happening during my grief was actually physically affecting me too. And that seems ridiculous, but that's one of the very vivid things that I remember about the impact that that had on me. It seems ridiculous, but... It, it doesn't sound ridiculous it, <laughs> at all. You know, we, we, we have this mind-body connection and the pain is so deep in your heart Mm-hmm. And yet it's manifesting. That makes so much sense right here where you're crying and you're... Those muscles had never been used that much in that way yeah. at one time. I think one of the things that was really powerful is what you did next. I was so afraid that I was going to forget what she looked like, what she smelled like, what she sounded like. It's a terrifying feeling that all of it's just going to get ripped away. When that state trooper said she did not survive, I literally thought to myself, there's not one thing I can do to get her out of this. There's not one thing I can do. There's not one person that I can call. There's not one arrangement that I can make. There's not one thing I can walk her through. There's no next time. This is it. So sitting in front of... Now, I want you to to imagine that between 5 a.m. when they showed up at our house, on a Sunday morning, you just don't pick up the phone and start calling people. And we had a lot of people that we needed to contact. We've got a large family. When I was able to come back home, it seemed like a constant process of phone calls and conversations with the coroner with the funeral home. And here I am staring at my computer, trying to reach every photo that I could find of Alexa. And it's where I realized that going through her photos, I could not find one photo of Alexa wearing her seatbelt in a vehicle. And as I started going through her friend's photos, I could not find one photo of any of her friends wearing their seatbelt in a vehicle. And I realized this was a culture. This is what these kids were doing. First thing that hit me was anger and blame and absolute rage. Why did it have to be our daughter? Who taught her this? And I started banging out a message. If you've ever typed when you're angry, or written when you're angry. There's a volume that comes with it. And I started typing out a message that was full of blame and full of anger. 
and full of rage to this is what happened. And I've learned to look at what I'm writing before I launch it. Before you push send. Before I push send. And that's when I looked at that message and I thought, oh, my God, that's not going to impact one single person. That's going to make kids mad. And I sat back in my chair and I took a deep breath. I said, oh, dear God, Alexa, what are we going to do about this? And I literally was trying to feel a hug from Alexa because she was a hugger, man. When you, when you got a hug from Alexa, you felt it all the way to your toes. I mean, she was a great hugger. And as the messages were coming through from the kids of how much they were going to miss her, they all said the same thing. We're going to miss her smile. We're going to miss her laughter. But they all said we're going to miss her hugs. And that's when holding my hand to my shoulder and my hand across my waist, I thought, oh, my gosh, it's a seatbelt. And so I erased the other message. And instead, I typed, this is Alexa's dad. You kids have all expressed your condolences, and you've all asked what you can do for the family. You've all talked about how much you've missed your smile and how much you've missed your laughter, but what you're going to miss most is your hugs. And so this is what you can do for the family. Whenever you get in that vehicle, I want you to put that seatbelt on, and I want you to feel that seatbelt across your shoulder, and I want you to feel that seatbelt across your lap, and I want you to think of it as a hug from Alexa because she would want you safe. And you know it. So deal, deal. And I walked away from the computer and was finally able to go lay down and get some rest. Probably a few hours later that I came back and looked and there were literally hundreds of photos that were coming in of kids buckled up saying, I've got my hug on. Thank you for keeping me safe. Everybody put their hugs on. And I called Jonah downstairs and I said, honey, you got to see this. And we both were crying. Mm -hmm. sobbing. It all comes together. Time just comes together. I said, we got to do something about this. We can't let this just be this trend for the day. We've got to do something about it. And it was Jonah's idea to come up with the ribbons around the seatbelt. I want to talk about Alexa's hugs, because I know that that was the result of this. Alexa's hugs mm -hmm. came out of that experience of, of feeling her hug and the yes. seatbelt. As the executive director of Alexa's Hugs, tell us a little bit more about the foundation and the mission of Alexa's Hugs. Our, our focus came from the experience that Tad had when he was writing that Facebook message. 
And we distinguished very early on that we didn't want to be an organization that was using scare tactics with people. We wanted to approach things from a positive way. I remember our mission statement was one of the easiest things that we ever did, providing positive encouragement for seatbelt and vehicle safety. And that came because, you know, Alexa had been raised to wear her seatbelt. She had always worn a seatbelt with us in vehicles. She was 19 years old. She knew that seatbelts were important, and she knew that she should wear a seatbelt. So why wasn't she? Knowing that there was a law that she should wear a seatbelt wasn't enough for her in her situation. So, you know, we we approached it from the beginning. What could we have done? What message would have reached her? What message would reach her friends? And that's why we really wanted to make sure that we're always sharing with people messages about what might motivate them to make safe decisions in the vehicle with a positive basis rather than um, looking at the repercussions of it. At Alexa's funeral, a group of her friends gave Isaac a little pink bear from Build-A-Bear named Alexa. And that bear went with him everywhere. And Isaac has spoken in a lot of schools and you can hear a pin drop when, when he's speaking to 1,200 students in high school. And his message to the kids is, I want your family to have more than just a bear. And that really has an impact on high school kids. You know, he asks them, how many of you have siblings? And most of them raise their hands. And he says, this is all I have of, of my sister yeah. to remember her by. And I, and I don't want that for your family. And it has a very significant impact. And so, we, you know, part of the reason that we made the hugs and, and that they're still so popular is we share with people, when you have that on your seatbelt, you think of a hug from the people that love you. There are people that love you, care about you, and want you safe. If you don't care enough about it for yourself to buckle up, then think about those that love you and buckle up for them. Put the phone down for them. Be safe. One of the things that we do in our programs is we teach a a program for parents and teen drivers so that they can learn about graduated driver licensing, about risks associated with teen driving, and how to approach things to make sure that those kiddos are learning how to be really safe, responsible drivers because they need that experience so that they can be safe. And one of the best messages that we've ever gotten was an email from a mom following one of those. And she said, I want you to know that our family's driving habits changed last night. She said, I never realized what I was teaching my kids. And when we left your program, I put my phone in my purse and put it away. And I will not be driving distracted anymore. That was so important to us to hear things like that. Another, oh. another one was a young woman that left us a voicemail, and she was also she's also a student at actually the same high school as uh, the other kids that we just talked about, and she was in a rollover in a bad ice storm. She described to Tad that she felt that seatbelt tighten up, 
and it felt like it was slow motion and like everything lasted forever. Yeah. But she had that hug on her seatbelt. And she said, please promise you will never stop. I, I'm speechless. <laughs> it's just powerful. Yeah. I mean, the, the impact on so many hundreds of people, thousands of people, changing what? people's lives. I mean, these, these kids could have all been badly injured or killed. What happened with Alexa was completely preventable. She made a lot of critical driver errors, we call them. The time of night she was driving, speed was a factor, she overcorrected, she was distracted. One decision could have helped her overcome all of those, and that would have been wearing her seatbelt. It was so preventable, and we just want to do everything that we can to share our message to prevent that same kind of tragedy in other families. When we're in front of the, the students... And when these students are with their parents, we ask the kids, all right, show of hands, how many of you kids have ridden in a vehicle with an adult that was driving and texting with you in the vehicle? 98% of the hands go up in the room and the parents look horrified. They have no idea. And what our message is to these parents is we're teaching our kids to drive. As soon as we turn them forward-facing in their car seat, everything we do with a child, they're watching. I share with the parents that I used to drive around with young kids in the car, and I always wore my seatbelt, and I never texted while driving. But I talked on the phone all the time while driving. And it didn't matter if I was holding the phone up to my ear or if I had a Bluetooth on. Once I got a Bluetooth, I thought I was so safe. I just felt so safe, right? And I did this all the time. I had a part in teaching Alexa that part of what we do while we're driving is that we talk on the phone. That's one of the things that we do. And then we're distracted. I didn't know. And then yes, we're distracted, right? We are very we're not distracted. Fully present. In fact, studies show that whether you're holding the phone to your ear or if you're talking hands free, it has the same impact on your driving and it increases your chance of crash by four times, wow. even if you're hands free. And the reason is because of cognitive distraction. Yes. Your your mind shifts to focus on the that conversation instead of the things that are in your driving environment. So I share with parents, you know what? I did that. I did it all the time. I did it frequently. And I got to live with that. There is no rewind. Tad uses that phrase all the time. There is no rewind. You know, with our son Isaac, we get a second chance on how we approach that. Well, and I think that it sounds like with what Tad was saying, part of what is so impactful is these parents didn't even realize that's what I am, that's what I'm mentoring here. Yes. To my kids. This yes. is what I'm saying. This is how you do it. And so the kids yeah. are going to emulate and you know, what when, they see. And when we ask the kids those questions, we the next question that we ask is, how does it make you feel? And they express very openly with us that they are scared. They're afraid. They feel worried. They have a lot of anxiety. They worry about a crash. They don't feel safe. You could just go on and on with the phrases that they use all expressing similar messages. Then we try to empower them to talk with their parents about it. 
Well, I have to, I mean, I've learned something tonight because I do the Bluetooth and I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I'm, this is safe. And as you're, as you're speaking about that, what is really registering with me and, and what's making sense, understanding a lot how the brain works, is that as we're talking to someone and as they're in conversation with us, we're imagining, we have pictures popping up as they're sharing with us whatever it is. We, so, so when you're saying, you know, yeah, of course we're distracted because our brain is semi-occupied already mm-hmm. just imagining these pictures and images. You're following yes. along with their story. Mm-hmm. So it can't be. There's no way it can be fully present and to people, dealing with what's in the road. People ask us all the time what the difference is between being on a Bluetooth and having someone in the car talking with you, having a conversation while you're driving. And, and that's a very valid question. Uh, what research is showing is that there's something called situational awareness. So if you and I are in a vehicle together, the the person who's the passenger, if they're noticing brake lights all of a sudden up ahead or they see a kid coming from the side that looks like they might be headed out into the street or somebody doesn't look like they're stopping at their red light, we're going to both pause conversation and do something to make our driver aware. So there's that situational awareness with adults. With teens, that's not the case. It's actually quite dangerous for them to have other teen passengers. But you and I will have situational awareness, so we'll pause that conversation. But if I'm talking on the phone with you and you're driving, I'm all in on our conversation. Absolutely. And I'm expecting you to be too. I'm not going to pause when those things are happening. And you're probably not going to notice most of them because your your brain is having to switch back and forth between tasks and your brain isn't processing all of that driving environment anymore. That makes perfect sense. I, I know that if I'm driving with my husband, we're, we're going on the highway and I'm the passenger and I see the brake lights go on up ahead, I'm pushing the imaginary brake yes. on my side. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I to- that totally or the gasp. makes sense. <gasps> yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah. the gasp that we do sometimes, right. which Tad hates. But you know what? It gets your attention. It makes you think, Absolutely. let off the gas and, and think I need to be responding responding to something yeah. here. So yeah. those things are really important messages that we share with the, the teens and their parents at every opportunity. But listen, our kids are scared riding in the cars with us and they're learning from us too. So even if we're telling them when you're out driving, you're not using your phone and and you're not doing this and that, they're going to ultimately end up following those same patterns that they've learned. What's modeled for them. Mm -hmm. You know, and and my daughter, she used to always uh, get mad at me because at a stoplight, I'd start texting. And she'd beg me, Mom, please, please, yes, don't text. Don't mm-hmm. text in the car. Because she had actually, this is in Cheyenne, but she had had a lot of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and they talked to the kids at their assemblies there at, at their high school. And so, you know, I had stopped texting and thought I was doing great. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys so much for it this ta- increased it takes your awareness. Mind, yes, it takes your mind 26 seconds, I believe it is, to switch back to your driving environment when you've done something like that at a stoplight. So people will think, oh, I'm at a stoplight. It's safe to check my Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is. But then your mind is still on that when you start driving, for almost 30 seconds. So think about even if you're in town and you're doing 35 miles an hour, you drive a long ways before you're fully focused on your driving again. And these are things we never knew before. Yeah. So we yeah. are not judging 
We're not shaking our finger at people because we didn't know it. We learned it the hard way because we suffered this loss. And that's why we want everyone listening to this to learn from our loss these important messages. When we went to see Alexa at the funeral home, when I laid my cheek on her cheek, there's nothing to describe how cold death is. You will never carry anything heavier than your own child's casket. So when parents say, I can't imagine, we don't want you to imagine this. This is something that nobody can imagine. Wear your seatbelt, put your phone down, and let's just drive. Hi, this is Sandy Gaines, host of It's Yesterday Once More, and you're listening to 88.9 KRFC Fort Collins. Be heard. Next time on The Spark. If you're trying to get by, if you're trying to live off of motivational quotes, the only thing you're going to get is a motivational quote will only help you survive another bad day. It's not going to change your life. We talk with motivational speaker, life coach, and podcaster C.J. Ortiz, known as the Metal Motivator, who takes an unconventional method toward his message, which is whatever you do in life, don't suck. Next time on The Spark. Jonah Johnson, and it's hard to just ask this as a blank question or a blanket question. How have you two dealt with this nightmare? How, how have you dealt with your grief from the loss of your daughter? I think first and foremost, uh, very important in our grief journey has been our faith journey. And that's one of the things that's held you all together and held yes. you through this journey. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what, what else in the early times, what helped that first year? When Alexa died, I could not speak. I literally could not say my first and last name together. And I worked in sales. So it wasn't just losing a child. It, I lost my income. I spoke for a living. Stephanie, like you do, I lost my mind. And here's what I found. I worked in the automotive sales industry. And when somebody would start asking me about a car, I would think the most insignificant thing I've ever done in my life is sell a car. And I was just numb. When someone asked me, what do I need to do to keep my child safe? I came alive. Working with these kids gave me my voice back. When somebody says to us, you're saving so many lives, we're one of those lives that were saved by reaching and and talking with these kids. They've also saved you. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So much of our healing has come from helping others. 
that constant thought of service. And reaching out of your yes. own grief, out of your own pain. Yes. And as you serve and connect with other people, yes. that yep. also helps you heal. To have something positive to put our energy towards. For us, it was forming Alexis Hugs, and the work that we were doing with Alexis Hugs allows us to speak her name every day in a positive way to impact others. So finding something positive, something that we can serve in has been very, very important in our healing. If somebody said, what do you say to a grieving parent? Their child's name. The next thing I would say to a grieving parent is please share one of your favorite stories yeah. of that child with me. Jonah and I were just talking about this during break, about this powerful thing of being able to address grief with a parent or with a person who's lost someone. Yes. And, and in particular, we were talking about with a parent that's lost a child. Mm -hmm. And that importance, Tad, that you just, you just talked about, you just lit on, you know, this point of speaking their name. And you were sharing, oftentimes, Jonah, you were, you were saying people don't know. Sometimes we don't know how to deal, how, what to say or how to act with someone who has suffered a loss. And we've heard some of the things that are, that ha, some of the things that have been hurtful to us, for example, are, well, at least she's in a better place. No matter who you've lost important to you, you don't want to hear that. That doesn't And help. even with our faith background, we don't want to hear that yeah. when we're grieving. I want people to know it's okay to just simply say, I'm just so sorry. And I don't know what to say other than that, but I am just so sorry. It's okay to do that. Please don't ever feel like you're going to hurt somebody by speaking the name of the person whom they are grieving. As a parent and as a step-parent in my case, one of the fears that you have is that they're going to be forgotten, that they'll be kind of obsolete. To pe People are just going to go on with their lives and just completely forget. But when somebody has a memory about Alexa and shares it with us, a photo pops up in their in their feed, right? And says, oh my gosh, I forgot about this day that we had together. And, and you know, they share a fun story or a memory or whatever. Those things are so meaningful to a grieving person that you remember their loved one, that you remember their name, that their loved one had an impact on you. Don't be afraid to bring those things up. You're not going to make them feel worse. They've already suffered the greatest loss. They can't. It's going to really bring comfort and joy to a grieving heart to know that their loved one was important to somebody else. When you lose someone, you can't breathe. Saying their child's name or their loved one's name is like giving them air. For someone who has recently suffered a loss, one of the challenging things for us was when somebody called and said, what can we do? Because that just added one more thing we had to think of. I didn't remember to eat breakfast this morning or to brush my teeth or to drink a glass of water, and you want me to tell you what you can do for me. It's, that's, it, it's too much. I can't even think we of what were, I can do for myself. 
Right. Yes, how, how am I going to exactly. tell you what to do? We were so blessed. One significant memory is the morning of Alexa's death. We have these friends that, without calling, without notice, showed up at the front door. We opened up the front door. They didn't say a word. They just stepped in and just hugged. Yeah. And that will never be forgotten, that they cared enough, that they just knew they had to be there. They couldn't fix anything for us, and we wouldn't expect them to, but they just knew they had to be there. So just the importance of showing up, that's yes. what you're saying. just mm-hmm. being present. Tad, I remember, shared a story that there was somebody at his work that just walked up shaking his head and just gave him a hug. He, he didn't have the words to say anything. And it, sometimes it there, there are no know. words. Yes. There are no words, like you've and said. And it's okay. You don't need to feel like you have to have the right words to say it. So it's, it's just okay to just be there. We were very blessed to have um, one friend who said, I'm taking care of the meals. If anybody calls you, you don't have to tell them anything except give them my name. And that's it. And that was beautiful to just have one person in charge of that. And she took care of all of the scheduling. Those things in those moments become really important and really impactful. Absolutely. And if you're ever wondering if you should take enchiladas, a bowl of chili, or chicken noodle soup (laughs) to somebody who's grieving, the answer is, yeah, just do it. It's, it's showing compassion and caring for someone, and those things are not forgotten. How did you two keep your marriage intact, though you may have grieved very differently? What, what helped you guys show up for each other, be there for each other, and hold together as a couple? I think communication is really, really important, and so is patience and forgiveness. And there's going to be a lot of all of those things involved. Our son just just today said to me, we were talking about grieving because we're both grieving right now, you know, as this anniversary approaches. And he said, we need to sit down and talk with dad and we need to just share with one another what we need when we're grieving and be respectful of one another. I thought that was so mature for someone who's just about to turn 14, you know, very thoughtful and very mature of him to say that. But I I do think that communication is so very important. I'm having a rough day today and I'm grieving and I'm sorry that I was acting that way. Being aware of trying to communicate your needs, maybe when you're not in the midst of that raw moment. But when things are more calm, saying, you know, when I'm feeling that way, I want to just be alone so that I can have some quiet time. When I'm feeling that way, I want to go exercise so I can, you know, feel better. Whatever that is, and communicating about that. The, the importance of communicating that so that the other person doesn't take your actions yes. personally. Yes. And you know what else it is? Allowing, not demanding that somebody grieve like you do. And it doesn't have to be a competition. You know, our son, when he was younger, would always say, well, I hurt, you know, I'm suffering worse than anybody else. Because to him, nobody could understand what it was like to lose a sister when you're nine. 
So he couldn't see that anybody else could possibly feel like he did. And what we worked hard to teach him is it's not a competition. We can all grieve. We're all going to grieve differently and at different times and in different ways. And we need to allow that for one another because grief isn't a, just a step-by-step move. Let's, okay, check off step one. Now I'm on to step two. What number are you on? You know, you weave back and forth through all of these stages of grief. And many times you're not prepared for what stage you just entered into. I, th- I think just being really open about that and allowing somebody to grieve differently than you feel right now and just say, I'm sorry that you're having that kind of day and, and I'm going to go and, you know, let you have that time that you need alone or, or whatever it is. You know, I don't know, have, have either one of you, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, it's called Tear Soup. Yes. Yes. Loved it. I love that book. I have bought so many copies of that book Thank and you. given that away Thank so you. many times. One of the beautiful things about that book is it, it speaks directly to what, Jonah, you're saying. Yes. That each one of us grieves differently. And, and there's there's an old woman in the book, one of the characters, and she's making this tear soup. The people around her, whether it's friends or family, and you don't really know what her loss is. It doesn't identify that. But what it talks about is these other people are kind of demanding or, or saying, you know, well, when are you going to get over it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or she's even losing friends because they're tired yes. of her stirring the soup. Yeah. And yes. it's really she's got to continue to make the soup and add the ingredients that she needs to. She is the only one who will know when that tear soup is done. Yes. Yep. And so it's not on anyone else's timelines. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not when someone else decides, you know, you really need to be doing this now. Get up, get out and get going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great book. And I'm so glad that you mentioned it. And I'd recommend it to everyone. That's, that, that's a solid book. And it, it was given to Isaac in grief therapy. But it was something that, that Jonah and I read together. Jonah mentioned communication. Something that Isaac and I started doing together as father and son. We called it coffee and conversation. And he and I would get together one-on-one, make coffee. He had mostly creamer. And we would just sit down and just have a conversation. Now, sometimes it was on a particular topic. Sometimes it was on a YouTube video. Sometimes it was a TED Talk. But the importance of was that just being one connecting it allowed that oh my gosh what i said to him yesterday he's still hurting from it grieving differently and one of the stages of grief is anger and that's probably one indicator for jonah and isaac when i'm suffering is my fuse is lit and it's short. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean for it to be that way. So being able to come back together, allow that time, let it be, and then to come back and say, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And sometimes for us, you know, we just let Tad know, you know, you're being kind of grumpy. And I know that maybe that's because you're sad right now, but that doesn't mean that we deserve to be treated this way and and vice versa again that comes to communication like when you're in the midst of that grief you may not even realize that you're being that short with 
the loved ones around you. So if they can kindly let you know that, it makes you more aware of of how you're behaving with others too and it helps you work through those well, you feelings. Can check, you can check in with yourself. Yes. And and then say, you know what? You're right. Yeah. So I'm really hearing that that not only was communication and is communication what's helped you continue to get through this grief mm-hmm. as a couple, it's also the entire family that that everyone has to be included in that process. Absolutely. When you suffer a loss like this, you're going to grieve the rest of your life. That's the fact. Right. So you can get stuck in the what ifs and I had plans and this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Or you can make a decision that you're going to move forward in what this new part of your life is with the realization you're going to you're going to grieve that person for the rest of your life. Period. There's no No matter what. It, it might be in different ways. Yes. It might take different forms, and that's okay. What what I was remembering from our conversation was this thing about how I have dealt with so many people that have had loss, and they talk about their life before the death. That was one life, and now that's a totally different life, the yes. life afterwards. They had one life then, and now there's yep. a separate life. Things and the are, two are, it's like they have this moment where they'll go, life life will never be the same. You, you count never... your days differently. Tad always says you get a different calendar, and it's the truth. You know, our our different calendar, our new calendar began on February 10th, 2013. Right. And then you have the first of everything, the first birthdays, the first anniversaries, the first holidays, all of those firsts. And then comes the second year and you realize you're still stuck with that same new calendar. And I get that because things are different. It's never going to be the same as it was before. And I want to add to that because I I think that's so important. Father's Day is still Father's Day. I'm always going to be Alexa's dad. That's not going to change. Her birthday is still her birthday. When people say to me, how old would she have been? I say 19. That's all she got. She wouldn't have been. She's 19. Mm -hmm. She will always be. Mother's Day still comes. You're still a mother. So if you're going to grieve through those anniversaries of the loss, celebrate the anniversaries of this happened. All of it happened. It wasn't a death alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was all of it. Yeah. It was a life. It was a life. And our life was happening then, and our life is happening now. And I think the greatest gift that we could give Alexa is to continue living Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I know that that's often a question that, that I'll ask clients. And I'll say, what would the person want you to be doing mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I will hear that response over and over. They'd want me to be living. They'd yes. want me to be enjoying life. They'd want me to be celebrating. Yes. They'd want me to be plugged in. Yes. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't want me to roll over, even it's though, okay. like you said, we're going to have days yes. where we're in bed, where we're grieving, and that's okay. And mm-hmm. we can still honor the memory of that person. Mm-hmm. We can, like we said, there, there's those days where we're going to feel undone. 
And that's okay. That's not dishonoring that person. And we're going to live our lives and we're going to plug in and we're going to touch as many people's lives as we can because that's one of the ways we heal through this. Yes. It's also okay to experience joy. Such an important message. Let yourself find it again. And don't make grief a competition. You know, one of the things that I've experienced as a step-parent losing a child is that sometimes people don't, well, you were just her, you were just her stepmom. Ouch. Just. Just her stepmom. Yeah. And I am her stepmom always and forever. And Isaac is her brother always and forever. And just be kind and let people grieve. One don't person's minimize it. Don't minimize it. One person's grief doesn't have to be bigger, better, or smaller than anybody else's. Grief is grief. And let's be kind and just help one another through it and be compassionate. And speaking about truth and kindness, if you are suffering a loss and somebody says something really stupid to you because you're going to get it, I want you to say, I want you to know that I don't want you to ever use that again with another grieving parent or someone else that suffered a loss. I just want to give you an okay here. What you just said to me was not okay to ever say again to someone else that's grieving. That just crossed the line. A parent said to me, well, it was just her time. It was just her time. And I looked at her and I said, you have two kids. When is their time? And then I was able to say, hey, what you just said was not okay. I don't care what book you read. I don't care what church you go to. What you just said to me is not okay. And the next time that comes out, don't ever do that again. I was at a school once and a student said, oh, mom, this is Alexis Hugs. Remember my friend Alexa, you know, that died? This is her stepmom. And the mom looked at me and went, hmm, bummer. Dear God, how insensitive. Things how not to say. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Things not to say, okay? Which I think are important as really, well. Really, I'm going to give you important. the one go-to that you can always go to if you cannot find anything to say. Just say, I'm so sorry. Three words. If you can't remember mm-hmm. any others, those three are always okay yeah. for a grieving person. Thank you. How have you two reinvented your life? In our case, it's been forming Alexis Hugs and being able to offer traffic safety programs. Not everyone has that kind of outlet, but I think it's very true that you you do need to look for the things that you can do moving forward. Finding ways to serve and help someone else often is a very good healer. I don't think there's a day that goes by that Jonah doesn't hear multiple times in a day how much I adore her. And I literally adore her. Isaac hears multiple times during the day how much I love him. And he and I have this hug that we do that we grip each other and we just pound on each other's backs and it just makes all kinds of drum (laughs) guttural noises between two males. I think we need to have that life so 
that spark can be shared with anyone. And if, listen, it's easy to give somebody a smile. It's easy to say to someone, how are you doing? It's just as easy to do nothing at all. Why it's, actually, take, it's actually easier to do nothing at all. Yeah, why not take that opportunity to, to give somebody a little bit of air and a little bit of light? Okay. And actually, when you give someone that light, mm -hmm. it illuminates it within you. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So we're needing to wrap up for now. I want to make sure that, that there's not something that we've missed. Is there a message or something that you feel like we haven't touched on or that you'd like to leave our listeners with tonight? I would just encourage people who are grieving to let themselves experience all of it. You've got to experience the dark and the sadness in order to find the light and the joy again. Don't feel like you have to be stuck in the dark in order to honor your loved one enough. The best way to honor them is to move forward in your life. And sometimes it's moment by moment, but you've got to keep moving forward because you're still here. And there is a purpose for you, and you're going to do amazing things in this world if you keep moving forward and go out and do something positive for someone. Before we wrap up, before I let you go, if people want to find out more information about Alexa's Hugs, where do they find that? Our website is www.alexahugs.com. That's A-L-E-X-A. H-U-G-S dot com. And you can search for us on Facebook to just search for Alexa's Hugs and you'll find our fan page there. And we welcome you to join us and join our conversations there. When I stood by Alexa's table, she's gone. She's not living anymore. I stood by Alexa's side and I said, thank you so much for being so awesome. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for caring so deeply. And I still do that today. So I want to say thank you for having us on this show because you really did give us air tonight. Mm -hmm. And this will be something that we can take with us. This is part of all of it that happened. So we really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for sharing your light and your love and your journey with us. You've been listening to The Spark on KRFC. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Remember, The Spark is your show, too. If you have questions about one of our topics, feedbacks on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at thespark at krfcfm.org. The Spark is produced by KRFC in Fort Collins, Colorado, and airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m. on 88.9 FM and streaming online at krfc.fm. Past episodes can also be found at krfc.fm. While at our website, you can also hear a number of other community and music programs from KRFC Network. To make sure you don't miss an episode, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, 
Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life.